0: This is Radio Parallax. A slightly different perspective from a slightly different view. With topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. This is kind of a holiday season here between uh, Christmas and New Year's. We would normally do our look back at 2007, but uh, all the publications that put out stuff have been remiss. So we'll put that off one week to next week's program. And instead, for today's show, avoid all political controversy, or most of it anyway. Talk a bit about social science. We're going to take a trip to, well, we're not going to take a trip anywhere, but we're going to speak to someone who just took a trip and came up to the U.S. of A. from down under. And today, as promised in recent weeks, we're going to talk to Dr. John Savino about his book, Super Volcano, The Catastrophic Event that changed the course of human history. This promises to be a very fun show. Let us commence the show as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is December 27th. On December 27th in 1845, ether was first used as an anesthetic in childbirth. It was given by Dr. Crawford W. Long of Jefferson, Georgia to his wife. She successfully gave birth to a baby girl. And in the weeks to come, we hope to take a, uh, a rather curious look back at how anesthesia, something we now take for granted, got started. It was only in the middle of the 19th century that uh, man first uh, gained uh, uh, a victory over pain and to the point where surgery, is, as we understand it today, could be performed. On December 27, 1927, the musical Showboat opens on Broadway. The show, with music by Jerome Kern and lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein, helped set the future direction of American musical theater. The the play Showboat included such classics as Old Man River and Can't Help Lovin' That Man. According to Wikipedia, Showboat deviated from the usual musical review of that era and featured an unusually dramatic plot highlighting racism and miscegenation certainly taboo subjects in musicals then. And on December 27, 1968, the U.S. mission to the moon, Apollo 8, safely returned to Earth after a historic six-day journey. As the Christmas holiday came during the mission, the astronauts Jim Lovell, Frank Borman, and Bill Anders read from the Bible as their camera outside the spacecraft's window showed the lunar landscape rolling below. It was truly one of television's most electrifying moments. If you were old enough to remember that, uh, that, that event, it's something I'm sure you will never forget. Now let's do our quote of the day. Our quote for today's program is, Life is like playing a violin in public and learning the instrument as one goes along. That was from Samuel Butler, and how true is that? Our quip of the day comes from uh, the American Republican politician Wendell Wilkie, who ran against FDR in 1940, who once said, a good catchword can obscure analysis for 50 years. Our statistic of the day, 85% of Democrats and 76% of Republicans say next year's election matters more than usual. Just 11% of Republicans say the election bores them, as do 7% of Democrats, according to the Associated Press Yahoo poll. We, for the record, are with the minority on this one. I think we'll do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, this was a good week for strange bedfellows after Jennifer Flowers, who in 1992 said she'd had a long-standing adulterous relationship with Bill Clinton, said she may vote for Hillary Clinton in 2008. Said Flowers, I can't help but want to support my own gender. It was conversely a bad week a few weeks back for British penal system discipline after officials at Her Majesty's Prison in Birmingham announced that guards would henceforth be required to call all prisoners by their first names and to knock before entering a cell as part of a new decency agenda to improve prison morale. And finally, it was an ugly week, a couple weeks back, for Flying Qantas, which, by the way, has never had a fatal accident throughout its entire aviation history. After the Australian Transport Safety Bureau reported that more than 90% of airline pilots have experienced, quote, spatial disorientation, unquote, a phenomenon that causes them to briefly hallucinate that the plane is moving in a way that it is not, or that they are out on the wing watching themselves fly. Now, you know, it's true, Australia is a long way away from most places, and those are some long flights, but I I think it may be time for some longer layovers for those pilots. Well, now, if you notice, we just had a couple of Australia stories, and we were thinking that, you know, we we need to go down under and talk to somebody from the land of Oz, and maybe get updated on what's going on down there. Because a few blocks away, one of my neighbors had a visitor, and we're going to take advantage of his expertise, having just flown here across the equator and across the Pacific Ocean. Uh, so we'd like to say at this point, welcome to Radio Parallax, Peter Donahue. Good day, G'day, mate. So Peter, did you fly here, Qantas?
1: Well no, I'd heard that story too, so I went <laughs> to New Zealand all the way. Peter, what do you do down there in Australia? I'm an anesthesiologist. So I work holding people down while the surgical butchers uh, sit <laughs> into them and,
0: uh, and hopefully they don't
1: remember too much about it.
0: Now let me ask you this. Down under, do they spell anesthesiology with an extra E like they do in so many things well, in Britain? Well, uh, we don't have nurses give anesthetics
1: uh, in Australia. And so we're all anesthetists. You're all anesthetists? Yeah, but
0: yes, it is spelt with an extra A. Oh, you know. man. I don't understand that. But then again, it's your language. We're just borrowing it. Well, kind of. I think it goes back to Greek or Latin or some such. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And we should clarify, actually, you're not really technically an Australian. Well, I technically am an Australian, but uh, I wasn't born there. Okay. You know. um, I'm, uh, uh, I've been there about 15 years. Okay. Um, your, your origins are in jolly I'm old English. England. That's yes, right. Well, I think George Bernard Shaw once said that Britain and America were two great nations separated by a common language. And uh, I think that uh, maybe the Australians have taken that one step further. Yes, it can be a bit strange at times, and uh,
1: there's a few books that are necessary to uh, <laughs> to get into the uh, colloquialisms.
0: Yeah. I, re- I regret to report you suggested that I get a copy of How to Speak Australian, and I was unable to lay my hands on my own copy of it, so we're going to have to make do with the substitute. Okay. Which I think what we'll do is take uh, Tony Wheeler, Mm-hmm. A legendary Australian who founded Lonely Planet. Well, I think he's actually English. He's a bit like me. Oh, really? Yes, he, he came
1: out from England and then started up Lonely Planet in Melbourne. I'll be done. And he's just actually sold
0: a good chunk of it to the BBC. I stand corrected. He, I certainly love the Lonely Planet series and yes. recommend them highly to anyone who wants to travel. Yes. But uh, what I liked about his Australia, a travel survival guide, was the fact that he thoughtfully provided a glossary of Australian terms. For those of us who are not from down under, mm-hmm. and and I think you can verify these are used. Oh uh, well, uh, let's go. All right, let's let's clarify this one. That uh, that famous man at work tune. Uh, I come from a land down under where a man chunder chunder means to vomit. It sure does. Yes, it's the big bit show <laughs> the technical the yawn, all of that. Yeah, very descriptive. It was very nice to put that in the lyrics because everyone thought it meant something nice. <laughs> but now I have to admit, Tony Wheeler wrote this apparently. For Britons, because he defines some of the terms he uses as definitions may not be clear to Americans. For example, he defines the Australian term bluey as swag. Can you explain?
1: Well, uh, a swag is like a, a bag that you, uh, you put things in.
0: Kind of like hobo with the, with the, with the bag yes, on his stick. On his stick, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, That's the sort of thing. A swag But man. the
1: interesting thing is that a lot of Australianisms are designed around opposites. There's a lot of people called bluey. But if, you, right. if you're bluey, you're actually a
0: gingerhead. What's that? Well, you've got ginger hair. Redhead. All right. Well, h- how about this one? One we all know from various clothing apparels and the tune Waltzing Matilda, a billabong.
1: Well, billabong is, um, is basically an outback creek um, which has no entry or exit. It's a pond, in other words. Uh, of
0: course, as you say, the uh, world-famous surfing clothing brand. Everyone rem- remembers the Paul Hogan ad of what, 15, 20 years ago, they probably sent more Americans to Australia than any other ad in history, where he talked right. about how, I'm going to put a few shrimps on the barbie. Yep. The barbie, the barbecue. Barbecue, indeed. They don't call them shrimps, do they? They call them prawns. Prawns, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But shrimps are more English. So he was actually tailoring that ad for Americans, because Australia wouldn't say and, that to And the...
1: for, well, for English as well. Because okay. um, that's what we would call them, yeah. Did that ad and... air in England too? Yes, it is. You know? yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, oh, yeah, big time. Smart. Yep, yeah. Well, Paul Hogan had, of course, had a his own show, and that was the basis of it. And uh, he came on in his uh, ultra short shorts and uh, <laughs> sleeveless top, uh, doing the Ocker Aussie bit. And, uh, uh, Explain Ocker. Ocker is kind of um, a little bit sort of uh, working class. Uh, hick. Uh,
0: hick. Yeah, okay. that'll do. Yeah. Hillbilly. Yep. Yep. Australian hillbilly. Australian hillbilly, indeed. Yes. Okay. And now here's one. Here's one. I was in. I was camping out with some some Brits when I was in in New Zealand. And the fellow, the fellow at the next campsite comes over and looks at me and says, have you got a billy? And I looked at him and said, a, a billy? A, a billy. <laughs> I, looked at him, I looked at him with this completely baffled look and he goes, a can. So a
1: billy is like. Yeah, cooking can. Cooking can. Yeah, yeah. Um, you use this little can, a little metal can and hold it over the fire and uh, put the tea leaves in and that's billy tea.
0: There really is quite a hobo culture down there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, that's right. You'd uh, have to say. And, and I have to ask you, Peter, you you are from Sydney. I am. And when I was in Sydney twenty years ago, I was astounded at the plague of flies which swarmed over you at the otherwise beautiful scenic beaches. And they call them blowies. Blowies, yeah, blow flies, yeah. Have they, have they cured that problem? More or less, yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure quite
1: how they did it, but uh, I think there was this huge can that they sprayed <laughs> over the whole of the city uh, uh, a few times, and, uh, and that was that. But uh, you don't have to go far outside the city centre of Sydney, and they, uh, they're back.
0: I've heard it was due to vast quantities of sheep poop dotting the landscape.
1: Well, uh, it explains it in some places, but um, it doesn't explain why
0: you don't get them in New Zealand. Indeed. All right, if you go to Australia, someone's going to say to you at some point, fair dinkum, what the hell does he mean?
1: Well, if anybody says fair dinkum, then they probably have just been let out of jail and, <laughs> and haven't actually been in the in the population for a long time. It's not really used very much. It just means it's it's fair, it's reasonable, it's right. Um, really? It's okay. I heard it all the time 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. Really? Yeah. It's yeah. gone out of style. And yeah, really, yeah. It's not, not uh, current language. You fair say, dinkum. Say, yeah, fair dinkum, it's not. All right, and this is one I heard also that I just loved, a drongo. Yep, drongo. Well, that's kind of, uh, that's a getting back to the old hillbilly hick thing. But that's, yeah, Tony that's... really defines it as worthless person. Yes, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a very polite definition. All right, another colorful phrase I remember hearing down there, galah. He's a galah. Well, galah's a kind of
1: like a parrot. It's uh, mostly white with some little uh, pink areas under its wings and it's notoriously stupid. Uh, and loud. Very loud, but it's mostly the stupidity. Okay. Um, you know, you drive out some of these long, straight outback roads, <laughs> and these things congregate in the middle of the roads, and you just run straight over them. <laughs> they don't bother to fly out of the way. <laughs> I don't know How come they haven't been uh, genetically uh, bypassed? I don't know. Uh, uh-huh. But um, anybody who's really dumb would be a galah.
0: Yeah. Tony Wheeler defines it, noisy parrots, comma, thus, noisy idiots. Yep. <laughs> Empty vessels. All right. And, of course, uh, good on you. Good on you. It's yeah, kind, of, yeah. it just kind of a well done, I guess.
1: Yes, it's, it's great. Um, Australians have all these generic um, expressions like everybody's your mate. So if you go to somewhere and you don't remember anybody's name, male or female, it's great. They're all just mate. The generic uh, greeting is good on you.
0: Yeah. Good on mate. Ya. Good, good on you. So as I recall, we're, we're in, a, we're in a, a cab in Melbourne. Or as I said on there, Melbourne. R's in the middle of words in Australia are just gone. Mm-hmm. And usually everything gets rounded off, and it has to either end in an O
1: or an IE. So <laughs> afternoon becomes arvo. Football becomes footy. Footy, yep. Bre- what, breakfast? Brecky, Brecky, yep. And of course, she'll be right. Yep, yep. Whether it's mail, farewell, a, a ship, a, a, a car,
0: anything, she'll be right, yep. Tony Williams defines that as no worries, yeah, which is right. also kind of, which is kind no of worries, circular. Mate. That's right. Yeah, yeah, um, circular logic. Everything's right. Everything will work out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I like this one too. Another Paul Hoganism. He was doing that ad for Foster's Lager, and the guys are like, you know, these these effete types are sipping their wine. They're holding up to the light, and looking at it. He looks at them, kind of squints, then he holds his Foster's up to the light and goes, Ah, Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> meaning good. Yes.
1: Another one of those expressions that's kind of slowly sank out of uh, usage, but... Uh, and they have words for the English. The English are referred to as palms. poms. Yeah, which is always interesting, and the definition of a pom is very variable. I'd be interested to hear what Tony says, but um, uh, one of the, the most common ones is prisoner of her majesty,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: is a bit ironic, really, because, of course, it was those Aussie convicts that were prisoners of her majesty, not the English who... Uh, Came over, but anyway, that's how it is, and it's kind of a, a slightly aggro, slightly unfriendly, friendly greeting, you know? Yeah, mean, there's a little edge to it, it is an I edge get, to it, yeah. indeed. It is, yeah. and it depends on how it's said. Yeah, it can be good, it can be neutral, and yeah. it can be a bit of a dagger in the back. Yeah, so what does Tony say?
0: Uh, well, he just says English person, okay, but uh, but well, I remember when I was trying to that's get the a cop out, I first heard it, palm, <laughs> and I looked it up and they're What the hell's a palm? And actually, it was, it said. Wenging palm, yes, and the definition was the worst sort of palm right. which didn't help me very much no, no, but we should explain wenging we oh wenging is just complaining, um bitching, yeah, and uh, if you go to a sporting event down there, one needs to be careful about suggesting they enter the rooting section because rooting has quite uh, a rather basic it, it, connotation it does
1: it's more sort of procreative, as with so many of them it's it's doesn't leave much to the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> it's a get down and dirty type uh, expression. Indeed. And um, there's a famous book about uh, marsupials describing uh, um, the wombat as an animal that uh, eats roots and
0: leaves. But you have to think about that eats, one. Eats root. Okay. <laughs> and I guess you have to ask you whether well, this one's an English expression, Australian per- expression, but you go to the bar and someone says, it's my shout.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, doesn't you don't hear that very often. Unfortunately, it's more like it's your shout,
0: <laughs> i.e., turn to buy around. Yes, right. Started mentioning I was in a in a, in a cab in Melbourne, as I started to say before, mm-hmm. and and the cab driver said uh, he referred to someone as a, a tall poppy. Yeah, well, that's right,
1: uh, and Australians hate the tall poppy. Uh, this is the person who's stupid enough to stand up above the crowd, and uh, uh, and they just asking for their heads to be chopped off. An
0: achiever, yep, an achiever indeed. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's sort of one way of looking at it. Yeah, yes. Which which is kind of to Australians is kind of like the old Japanese phrase that you know, the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. Yes, yeah, that's right. Australians are all too happy to cut that tall
1: poppy down. That's right, that's right. They're very into the uh, egalitarian thing, and and the, which makes them really crappy tippers. Yes. Well, no, tipping just doesn't really happen. Uh, Well, because I guess we pay our waitresses some wages. Uh, We don't (laughs) actually need to. That was
0: an interesting custom I noticed down there. (laughs) They actually seem to pay a living wage
1: to people employed in bars and restaurants. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. They don't come running after you, tackling you to the ground after your money. Anything I'm
0: missing here you want to toss out?
1: Well, one that uh, really um, appeals to me is the the bludger. Uh It's such a descriptive term. It's almost onomatopoeic. Yeah, uh, it describes somebody who uh, lives off other people, who's just a bum and uh, a scrounger, uh, and I think it's just great. And w- one and, who won't work. Well, that's the, it's not just yeah. That's that's another meaning. Um, and it's the there's the dull bludger. Uh, uh, there's the work bludger, the guy who, uh, constantly is the hard work to somebody else to do and, you know, makes his trips to the bathroom at just the wrong time or the right time. And, uh, uh, that's the bludger. Uh, and in fact, bludging is a national sport. <laughs> I noticed that. Yep.
0: Uh, anything to do to take time off work. I, I do like Australians a great deal, but they are, they don't appear to be the hardest working people on the face of the earth. No?
1: Well, they, they're, they're, they keep putting out these reports that say that they're some of the most productive workers uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the known world. Um, but I don't know how they do it. Uh, I'm sure that if any party said, uh, we're going to tax you 70% of your income, but you can work two days a week, they'd be right up there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Here's a caller for one... Uh, He's a two-pot screamer. What does that mean?
1: Well, I you, you guess you're probably more likely to hear she's a two-pot screamer, <laughs> and then it's good news. But uh, the two-pot screamer is the uh, is the cheap drunk, um, cheap date, whatever you want to look at it. Uh, Unable to hold their liquor. The, a pot is like a, a very small unit of beer. Um, it's about uh, a third of a pint. Um, so, you know, two pots is not much. On the other hand, they do brew their beer pretty strong
0: down there. Yeah. Uh, so two pots... Um, if you're screaming after that. Yeah. You're a lightweight. Yep, yep. All right. You know, we, I didn't mean for this to go on so long, but we're just having too much fun. We're speaking with Peter Donahue about uh, phrases from down under, and we will continue to do so after a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax.
1: in <laughs> a Trail head full of zombies. I met a strange lady, she made me nervous. She took me in and gave me breakfast. And she said, Do you come from a land down under? A woman born.